In today's episode, I'm going to share with you a couple of customer service stories and how it can impact your business. We've got reselling news from Amazon, eBay, and more, and a what sold recap with a crazy good flip of the week. What is up, Galaxians? Welcome to another episode of the Galaxy CDs Rocks and Flips Reseller Talk podcast. My name is Ryan, and I am a full-time reseller, part-time YouTuber, and podcaster working out of my home here in the Batcave, and this channel is all about the flip life. We have got a huge episode today. I've got a ton of news stories to go over, some pretty cool stuff in the What Sold segment, and we're going to have a little conversation about customer service. So if you're here live, uh, feel free to comment in the chat and I will try to do a little segment somewhere in the middle here where we cover any questions that you might have on that. Feel free to comment on uh, my take on customer service as well. (laughs) Uh, If you're watching the replay later, feel free to comment. If you are listening to the podcast, you can always, of course, reach out by email at galaxycds.com at gmail.com. But with all that housekeeping out of the way, let's talk about customer service. So I'll preface this whole segment by saying it is not my goal with this channel or with this episode or even with this segment to tell anyone how I think they should run their business. There's plenty of other people (laughs) uh, on YouTube that are already doing that. My goal is simply to share my experiences, the things I'm doing in my business, the things I'm selling in my what sold segment, the things I'm paying attention to in the reselling news. And you can do with that information what you will. You can take it or you can leave it. That being said, I feel like customer service is a really important aspect of the business that a lot of resellers, at least by what you see online in the various Facebook groups and on YouTube, don't really pay that much attention to or don't just just don't think is that important. Um, I feel like a lot of them seem to believe that customer service ends when we drop an item off at the post office. And I happen to disagree with that. I, I come at this maybe from a little different place than some resellers. I spent 30 plus years in the traditional retail and customer service environments doing everything from sales to management, general manager of a store. I owned my own retail store. So my perspective on customer service might be a little different from some other resellers. So I thought what I would do today is just share a couple of stories, one as a customer and the other quite a bit longer story (laughs) uh, from the perspective of my business. So the first, as a customer, I'm, I'm interested in purchasing something. It is, it's an old video game, really probably not in that high a demand at this point. There's a bunch of them available on eBay. And there was one in particular that caught my eye. And I sent a message to the seller asking one simple little question about whether the download code that comes with the game had been used or not. That was on Saturday, uh, Sunday evening. It is now Wednesday morning. And I have yet to get a response from that seller. That's not the kind of customer service that I think you should provide. I try very hard to answer all questions 
unless I'm asleep, <laughs> uh, within an hour or two, uh, even when I'm not working, if I'm out on my walk or just relaxing, I try at least once an hour just to peek at the phone and see if there's any questions, any messages, and try to respond to those. I think that's just common sense customer service that would help my business. Maybe this guy, this item has 93 watchers right now. So maybe he just doesn't think it's that important and that somebody's going to go ahead and buy it. The fact that it's still sitting there with 93 watchers indicates to me that he could be doing something more to sell it. I would have already bought it had he just answered my question one way or the other. I'm not sure I really even care if the code has been used or not. I'd just like to know for my own going in. Um, maybe I'd make him a little bit lower offer if the code has been used, but at least he would have the, ch the chance to make a sale. Instead, he's chosen not to respond. I still haven't made a purchase and he still hasn't made a sale. So that's an example where a really, really simple 30 seconds to answer a question could be making the difference in this guy making a sale or not. And it's not a big deal. It's a $15 item, but they add up. So you can let me know what you think of that particular situation. But this is the one I really wanted to share. So Saturday afternoon, I'm minding my own business and I receive, uh, where is it here? Let me go back here. This message from a customer. I received Trial of a Time Lord 1 through 4 and 5 days early. That's a good start. <laughs> uh, but it did not arrive in like new condition as described. The corner of the case was smashed in transit, presumably due to the laughable packaging, and the disc, which was loose, became littered with scratches. You need to take more safety precautions when mailing DVDs. So... Um, what do you think of that? A lot of sellers, it'd be really easy to take offense at this. And if you're a customer, this is not the recommended way necessarily to get something done to satisfy whatever your issue is. There's no need to attack the business, the seller, whatever the case is. It got damaged in transit. I literally have shipped over the 20 odd years off and on I've been doing this thousands of items in a bubble mailer with or without a cardboard stiff stiffener in the package with no issues whatsoever. So this item was clearly abused by the post office. Some sellers would probably just leave it at that. Some may just totally ignore this because this person has not really asked for anything. He hasn't asked to return it. He hasn't asked for a refund. He hasn't threatened to leave me bad feedback, although you can tell from the tone of the message that that is certainly a possibility. So what do you do? Do you ignore it? Do you respond and say, hey, this, this thing was damaged by the post office. You might want to contact the post office. It was packed like I pack everything else. And just leave it at that and see what happens. Here is what I chose to do. I'm sorry it arrived in that state. I've shipped thousands of DVDs like that in bubble mailers with very few incidents. Would you like to return the item as it arrived in a different condition from when it left here? Alternatively, I would be willing to give you a 25% price adjustment for the issue. Let me know which you would prefer. And again, my apologies for the issue. So what have I done here? A, I've acknowledged his situation I've apologized and taken responsibility for it, and I've given him some options. This 
to me, represents good customer service. Now, I know there's probably some sellers out there watching this right now whose eyes have rolled back in their heads at the thought of volunteering a return or, heaven forbid, a price adjustment. They're just vehemently opposed to doing those things. Again, this is a situation where I think it's only fair. This is not the customer's fault. Realistically, it's probably not my fault either, but that's not the customer's problem. He's received an item that is in a different condition of which he bought it. So that's what I reached out with. What else does this message do? Not only is it the right thing to do, it gives me a little bit of ammunition with eBay if this person chooses to leave me negative feedback. If he chooses to ignore the message or not take advantage of these offers, I can say to eBay, hey, I offered this guy a return or an adjustment. I don't feel negative feedback is warranted. If he accepts either of those things, he certainly shouldn't be leaving negative feedback because he has agreed to a resolution to his issue. So in this case, by doing the right thing, I've also at least started the process of protecting myself against potential negative feedback. So, a couple hours later, I receive this message. Unfortunately, neither option will do me any good, but that's because of my own end. I make all of my online purchases with prepaid Visa gift cards, which are neither refundable nor reloadable. Pro tip, don't do that. If, if you want to protect yourself, I, I have a low-limit credit card that if if somebody gets a hold of that number, the most damage they can do is a couple of hundred bucks. But a prepaid gift card is not probably the way to shop online for this very reason. Anyway, continuing on, I do appreciate your understanding towards my predicament and your willingness to attempt to rectify the situation has been noted. I will simply have to purchase another one later down the line. Thank you for your time. Again, this is a point where realistically you could just drop it. He's He seems to have calmed down. We've diffused the situation to the point where he appreciates the understanding and the offer to assist. He just can't accept that assistance So, and admits openly that that's his problem, not mine, and uses kind of the code word for, I'm done with this. Thank you for your time. So you could, in theory, just stop. You could not respond to this at all. Here's where a lot of resellers are really going to get their shorts in a bunch. I chose to double down on the service. That's unfortunate for sure, is the message I sent. I'd like to be able to make it right. So if you see any other DVD, CD, record, or book in my store that you would be interested in, I will offer you the same 25% off of one item up to your original purchase price of $18.99. And whatever you might purchase, I will ship in a box rather than a mailer. Thanks for getting back to me and just message me if you want to grab something at this discounted offer. Why in the world would I do that? A, I still think that's a good customer service. I still want this guy to know that I really want to make this right and I don't want to just abandon him because he's not in a position to accept my offer. So I've gone above and beyond. The item that he already purchased I'm already going to make all my money on because I can't do a refund or an adjustment. So by making this offer, I potentially could get another sale from this guy. 
It might be unlikely, but it's worth a shot. I've also added another bit of ammunition if he leaves negative feedback and I have to go to eBay. This is where the thing starts to get a little more fun. Shortly after that, I receive another message. Wow, I've been collecting Doctor Who a little over a year. With over 100 DVDs since I began, only twice has it ever gone wrong and a DVD arrived damaged, while the other gentleman left it at, quote-unquote, my bad. You have gone above and beyond to ensure my satisfaction. I can see you have more than earned your 100% positive feedback. And, as a matter of fact, I had already planned to purchase the other three parts of the Trial of a Time Lord from you. When part one arrived as it did, I thought I'd have to find another source. But with the promise of a boxed shipment rather than a bubble-wrapped one, I can now proceed as intended. Thank you. So, in the span of a couple of hours, with a handful of messages, and the offer to assist this guy with his purchase... We've gone from a bad customer experience to what you could argue is one of the better ones he's probably had shopping online. And I've turned what was potentially negative feedback and or a return into potentially more business. Shortly thereafter, I hear a cha-ching and then I get another message that says, the purchase is made and I expect no discount the assurance that the packages will arrive in good condition is more than enough for me. And here is his sale. An original purchase of $18.99 that essentially went sideways because it was damaged by the post office has now turned into, through these efforts at above and beyond and maybe ridiculous <laughs> levels of customer service, into another sale that totaled $61.97. Cost of goods sold on this stuff was about four and a quarter. So this is a really profitable sale. It is highly likely that when these arrive, I'm going to get really good feedback for having gone above and beyond. So the point of the story is don't be afraid. And again, do, do what you need to do with your business. Only you know what you're willing to do or not do in the name of customer service. But don't be afraid to make offers and to try to get people to calm down and understand that these things just happen and it may turn into more business for you. This turned into a pretty nice extra all said and done. Not only did I not have to give any kind of price adjustment or take an item back, I ended up making an extra $55 or so in net profit on the deal. So that's customer service for a win. Are there people out there who want to scam you? Absolutely. I had the issue, which I talked about on Instagram and on this show a few weeks ago, where the guy had purchased seven seasons of the West Wing. He opened a return at 29 days and four hours in my 30-day return window, and then held on to the thing for another 10 days before mailing it back to me. So he essentially had the thing for well over a month rent-free. I'm sure he watched every episode. It's all good. It happens. The items already come back. I've already relisted it. I've already resold it. So I lost a little bit of shipping each way, but that's part of the cost of doing business. I had a boss once very early in my retail career who said to a group of us in a meeting, you can't 
run your business based on what the half of a percent of people are going to try to do to you, to try to get one over on you, to try to steal something from you. Because if you do that, you're going to make it more difficult for the 99.5% of the people who just want to do business with you to do business. Do right by those folks, and that half a percent will take care of itself. And that's advice that I've always taken to heart in my own retail management career and now as a reseller. And this, to me, is a classic example of if you do a little bit more, if you offer a little bit more, you can end up with a pretty nice win. So you can let me know what you think of that. I'm going to jump over here into the comments and see uh, what we got here. Most jobs I've had include an element of customer service. I really try my best to provide good customer service. Some customers make it hard to want to help them. And that is absolutely what how this started and why I say don't. If you're a customer and you have an issue, try to reach out. Don't be a Karen. <laughs> uh, reach out in a nice way and try to get the situation resolved. Businesses are there. They want to earn your money. They don't want to just take it. And I, we have this very adversarial relationship, both customers towards businesses and vice versa, where it really should be, we're all trying to achieve the same thing. We've got something they want. They have something we want, which is their money. Why don't we make more effort to make it work out and work together? So thank you, Aaron, for the comment. Brandy's uh, prize possession spot on response to the customer regarding his claim. Yeah, that's one of those things. I, I just feel like a lot of sellers probably wouldn't go through all that. And that Again, more power to you. If that is how you want to run your business and you're successfully running it, that's great. But I think this represents an opportunity to potentially increase your sales. And it certainly results in improved feedback. So got have fun flipping here. Tim says you can't run your business off the 0.5% of customers. A well said quote, better health blessings. So true. Don't be a Karen, says Brandy. Thank you so much. <laughs> uh, so with all that being said, this seems like as good a place as any to get into. Let's look at some items in addition to that nice $62 sale of uh, Doctor Who DVDs. Some things I sold over the last week literally everywhere. I just closed out what had to be my best week ever. My payout yesterday was Knockwood, um, the biggest one I've ever had from eBay. Of course, the last two days have been <laughs> uh, kind of in the dumper, but man, last week was just crazy good. And I had sales everywhere. I've got sales today from eBay, Bonanza, and Mercari. This first item, uh, Fila Western and Southern Tennis Open Cincinnati Polo Shirt. I picked up four of these for $10 at a yard sale not quite a month ago. I saw them, this particular tennis tournament that takes place every year in Cincinnati actually just occurred last week. So I knew we were heading into the time frame where these shirts might be attractive to somebody. Again, I had four of these that I bought for $250 a piece. I sold all four of them. I'm only going to show you just this one uh, for $19.99 with free shipping all in. I made probably $14 or $15 bucks on each of these. So fairly nice flip. Um, I'm 
I'm not a big clothing seller. As I've talked about on this show before, I don't like to get into the customer service bit. I have chosen not to do clothing because I don't, I don't want to respond to all those questions about measurements and that. So that's a piece of the customer service pie that I'm just willing to let go. Other sellers obviously do that. They, they measure everything. They've got a board where they put the measurements up and so on. So they do a lot of stuff in that way. That's just not uh, kind of what my customer service <laughs> uh, looks like. So I'm not doing that. But in this case, it was still a pretty nice sale. Moving on, this one sold on Mercari, Hertel's Standard Reference Indexed Bible from 1938. This was a leather-bound Bible that had tabs on it um, from, again, from 1938. It was in pretty rough condition, but it seemed like it was in some demand. I bought it for 50 cents. It sold for $20 with free shipping. It was a pretty good-sized book. I think it cost $4 and a penny to send out media mail, but all in... Not a bad sale and something going on over on Mercari. Bibles, as we've talked about on this show before, can be, especially older ones, pretty good. I've talked about previously the big lot of model railroad catalogs that I bought several months ago from a referral from a model railroad club down in Louisville. I sold four Markland catalogs, two lots of two each for essentially $10 a piece. So $20 total with free shipping. I own these things for five cents a piece. So I've got 20 cents in this. So essentially, what is that? A hundred times my money before shipping and fees. So not bad. Uh, Old, again, old model railroading stuff can do pretty well. So be on the lookout for that. DVDs. My, my man, Resale Dojo, uh, does really well. He's got a lot of great videos on Bolo DVDs. I try to highlight a few here and there when I get them. Uh, so a hat tip to Steve for all his tips. This is one I picked up in a big lot. I own this for 17 cents. Sergeants 3 from 1962 with Frank Sinatra, Dean Martin, uh, Sammy Davis Jr., and a whole bunch of others. This went for $21.99 with free shipping a book i've got a couple here that are real page turners central banking fourth edition from 1974 this was in a big lot of books that i own for a quarter a piece it has been listed for nearly a year someone finally bought it for 23.99 so again not everybody has the ability to store large quantities of media i've got I just bought another 3,000 books (laughs) Uh, over the weekend, and I'm actually looking at a storage unit now because my house is literally full of books. But if you can keep these things long tail and you're willing to sit on them for a little bit, you can make really, really good money on these old books. So Central Banking, $23.99. Another book, this I picked up at a yard sale in a big bunch of, I've talked about these before, the World Landmark books. I bought this for 50 cents. Julius Caesar. This was World Landmark book number 43. Was a first printing uh, hardcover with dust jacket. I had this listed for $29.99. I got a best offer of $25 with free shipping. And I went ahead and sold that. Speaking of the free shipping thing, I've talked over the last 
couple of months about the impending media mail price increase and how I wasn't completely sure how I was going to handle it, but my initial thought was that I was not going to pass that on to the customers. And I had decided that that was what I was going to do with my existing listings, much like, again, Steve Resale Dojo talked about, it's not worth the time, especially for me, to go back and try to edit 6,000-odd listings to change from either free to customer paid shipping or to edit the prices of those. My time is better spent doing new listings. But going forward, those new listings are going to include customer paid shipping, even at media mail. Uh, The United States Postal Service has increased media mail prices three times in two years. I have to this point absorbed all of those increases. I will continue to absorb them on items that are already listed, but I'm not, I've made the decision for my business that I'm not going to continue to do that going forward. And all of those things are now going to be at a slightly reduced price, but plus customer paid shipping. I'm still pricing them so that they're competitive now. And we'll see how that works out going forward. I've already sold a couple of books since I switched that philosophy uh, where customers have paid shipping. So it doesn't seem to be impacting the book sales all that much. Uh, Let me know what you're doing if you're a big media seller. Here's the other banking book, uh, State Banking in Early America, A New Economic History. I think this was written again in the 1970s. This was out of that same lot of books that I own for a quarter $25.49. I sent out a 15% offer on this item and got it out of here. It's another one that I've had for probably coming up on a year. Bonanza. On the board this week, this is another book out of that lot. Three Spanish Romantic Plays. Don Alvaro, Troubadour, Lovers of Terrell. This was a, a paperback book that had essentially the scripts for these Spanish plays. It was all in Spanish, $29.99. I own this thing for a quarter. This was plus shipping, so really nice sale over on Bonanza. Again, I made the comment on a uh, List Perfectly post, I'm not buying a Lamborghini with these sales, but this stuff all adds up to be pretty decent business. CDs, you know I love my CDs. It's in the name, right? Uh, Emily's Sassy Lime, Desperate, Scared, But Social. This was a new CD from 1995 on Kill Rock Stars. Again, obscure. I I would venture to guess most of you have not heard of Emily's Sassy Lime. Um, This was part of a big lot that I own for about three and a half cents a piece. I had it listed for $39.99. It's in my current 20% off sale and sold for $31.99 with the dreaded free shipping. (laughs) Uh, Here's an interesting book. I picked this up at an estate sale over, gosh, well over a year ago for a dollar. There were none listed at the time, and the only sold comp had gone for about 70 bucks. So I listed this thing at $69.99 and nothing had a few watchers nobody made offers it just kind of sat there it is now caught up in my 35 percent off offer it got a watcher i included it in an offer that i sent out with an additional 15 percent off and it has finally sold a mig 15 to freedom this was by no come sock from north korea was co-written by kenneth rowe this was a, a memoir of a north korean defector during the Korean War back in the 1950s. 
this book was in excellent condition. It had been signed by both authors. So I really thought this thing would bring good money. It still brought $38.67, which isn't too hateful on an initial investment of a dollar. Um, 70 bucks would have been a lot more fun, but still a pretty nice sale. I talked about these some time ago. I bought two huge boxes of bound Reader's Digest magazines. They were essentially six months per volume, ranging from the mid kind of 1930s through the early 1950s. I paid, I think, about 75 cents a piece for these. They continue to sell at, I have them listed for $23.99. Most of them have been selling on best offers for 20 bucks a piece. Here, a customer bought both volumes from 1940, volume 36 and 37, on offer for $20 each, so $40 with free shipping. Um, the World War II era ones have been really, really strong. I probably would not buy again these outside of that era. So say 1937-ish pre-war to about 1946, those have done really well. The ones to the outside of that time window, I think I'm probably going to have to substantially discount <laughs> uh, in order to get rid of. But this was a really nice sale. I was again at an estate sale, a bunch of old like 1920s through 1950s era kind of romance hardbacks. This is not something that I ordinarily would have looked at, but a little over a year ago, I acquired a big lot of books like this that did really well. So now when I see them, I usually take the time to look them up. This was Murder's Little Helper from Garland Lord. It was a 1941 Doubleday ex-library book with a dust jacket, but it was in pretty ratty state. The Whoever had it before had actually glued the flaps of the dust cover to the book itself. They'd put a plastic protector on it, which had tape on it. So this thing was pretty, pretty ragged, but it was also pretty rare. I picked it up for 35 cents. I had it listed for $59.99 or best offer, and I got an offer of $50.99. This actually was sold through the Global Shipping Program, the customer paid nearly $50 for shipping to eBay, which is just crazy to me. So all in, this customer spent just short of $100 on this book. Um, I made really good money on it from $0.35 cents to $50.99. So I, I've talked about this before with friends of mine. I don't know why people do stuff like this, but I'm glad they do. <laughs> uh, and here, oh my gosh, I forgot my little, there's, here we go flip of the week. This is an item that you may have actually seen over my shoulder for some time. Uh, a turntable that I picked up at a yard sale back in the spring. And I have this aversion to testing electronics. So I put it on my planner last week. I'm going to test all these electronics that I got laying around here and get these things listed because they should be worth some good money. This turntable, a Techniques SL3350 direct drive fully automatic turntable that had both its regular 33 RPM spindle and the 45 automatic spindle, which is a little thicker so it can hold the where they got the bigger hole in them. I tested this thing. It worked like a charm. I paid $50 for this because at the time when I was buying it, I looked it up. Comps were around 200 bucks. So I thought, eh, for four times my money, why not? When I got to looking a little deeper, nobody had a complete one that included the manual 
and both of these spindles. So I went, I aimed high on this. I had it listed for $399.99 plus UPS shipping. And it, within a matter of a couple of days, had eight watchers. Somebody finally sent an offer for $351.96. I don't know how they came up with that particular number. Uh, plus shipping. Shipping was, gosh, I want to say where this guy was. UPS shipping ended up being almost 50 bucks. So all in, he was real close to $400 on this deal. I own it for 50 bucks and sold it for $351.96. So uh, I, I'm not a huge fan of all of the extra work that's involved with electronics, the testing, the cleaning, the packing to make sure something like this doesn't get damaged. It's a lot of extra work. But that being said, for essentially what ended up being a $275 odd net profit, it's probably actually worth it. So (laughs) uh, that was a nice way to wrap up last week. I was really pleased to get that thing out of here. And uh, yeah, let's let's get into what we got. News updates. It was a big, big week for reselling news this week. If I can get this thing to load, I've got a ton of stories for Amazon, who has been very, very busy in the last week or so this first one it won't load uh if it there we, there we go now i can share it <laughs> uh amazon warns merchants about antitrust bills in congress so we've talked about this before congress has proposed some legislation that would affect these kind of larger platforms this particular one Amazon has sent out emails to specific sellers asking for them to take action to write their congressman or whatever regarding this particular bill. Um, A program manager for public policy at Amazon emailed a merchant to say, we are concerned that they could potentially have significant negative effects on small and medium-sized businesses like yours that sell in our store. The staffer then requested to have a phone conversation uh, when asked if the company had actually reached out to merchants to help it lobby against this legislation, Amazon said the email spoke for itself. They also said it was a, a limited engagement with specific sellers that it regularly communicates with across platforms. But if this other one will load, within a couple of days of that, Amazon launched a new website to go on the offensive against this antitrust bill. On Friday, Amazon launched a website to warn sellers about proposed antitrust legislation in Congress, which seeks to limit the power of big tech. The website asks sellers to sign up for updates on the legislation and says they could be given opportunities to share their concerns with elected officials. So they've stepped up their offensive, according to this article, against these antitrust proposals by launching this website. It allows sellers to sign up to receive more information from Amazon's public policy team about a package of antitrust legislation, which was approved in June by the House Judiciary Committee, which seeks to rein in big tech's power. Uh, quote, we look forward to keeping you informed as we get more information about this leg- what this legislation could mean for you and providing you the opportunity to have your voice heard. According to the website, 
We will also share ways we can work together to ensure Amazon remains a great place for our seller community. Their spokesperson said sellers are asking for information about these bills. We want to help the hundreds of thousands of third-party sellers on Amazon stay informed about this legislation and how it could impact their ability to sell their products. So this, this bill, the Ending Platform Monopolies Act, would have a particularly big effect on Amazon because it would allow federal regulators, according to this article, to sue to break up companies that operate a dominant platform and own or operate a business that presents a clear conflict of interest. And the reason that this applies to Amazon is because they offer this, again, according to the article, sprawling marketplace that serves millions of third-party sellers, but it also competes against these merchants with its own private label brands. The marketplace has actually grown bigger than Amazon's own retail business, which I was not aware of, and helped the company expand other revenue sources like fulfillment services and ads. In communication with sellers, Amazon has sought to convey that the antitrust legislation could potentially remove their access from Amazon's customers and services and if enacted in its current form, result in their business seeing lower revenue. So their approach to you as a seller is to say, they may have to take your listings down from Amazon. In, in theory, it sounds like what they're thinking is they may have to close the marketplace or at least separate it. So that's going to be really interesting. This thing just popped up all by itself. So well, let's get into this as the next... <laughs> Uh, article, as if Amazon's not making enough money, they plan to open large physical retail stores in the U.S. Um, this is crazy to me. Uh, they essentially put everybody out of business except Walmart, which we'll get to actually in a moment. Uh, but they're planning to open several large physical retail stores in the U.S. that will operate like department stores. This was reported originally by the Wall Street Journal. Some of the company's first department stores are expected to open in, of course, Ohio. Great. I hope they open one right down the street. <laughs> uh, and California, the journal reported adding that the stores will be about 30,000 square feet in size and offer products from well-known consumer brands. The e-commerce giant, of course, has been benefiting from a surge in online purchases from homebound shoppers. But now that vaccinations are encouraging more U.S. shoppers to return to brick-and-mortar stores to buy clothes, footwear, and electronics... Amazon has decided that they might want to play in that space. So that's really interesting to me that they want to open stores. We'll see how that goes. 30,000 square feet is not really a, a giant store by the old standards of big department stores, which could be 80, 100, 150,000 square feet or more. Uh, but it's still a pretty big investment for Amazon. So that's, that's pretty fascinating. And... They continue to grow and grow and grow. Amazon reportedly outsold Walmart for the first time last year. Amazon sales and, importantly, those of its third-party sellers combined on the platform eclipsed Walmart's sales over the year ending in June, according to the New York Times. This makes the e-commerce giant the world's largest retailer outside of China. Shoppers spent more than $610 billion dollars on Amazon over the 12-month period, according to estimates from the Wall Street Journal. And Walmart was at $566 billion in sales. It's the first time Walmart has been outsold since it became the country's biggest retailer in 1990. 
when it passed up Sears. Sears, man. Can you, are there any Sears stores still around? I don't, all of them around me have closed and they've sold off their Craftsman brand and their Kenmore brand and they've essentially just disbanded the whole thing. But man, at one time, Sears was the bomb. They were the biggest business in the world. Uh, While Walmart, of course, publicly posts its sales, which are made up mostly of its own goods, analysts have to estimate Amazon's because the majority of the sales on its platform, again, are from third-party sellers, and the company only reports the fees it charges from those sales, according to the New York Times. Both Walmart and Amazon still fall short, though, when it comes to sales by Chinese billionaire Jack Ma's e-commerce giant Alibaba, which remains the world's top seller with a reported $1.2 trillion in gross merchandise volume in the fiscal year that ended in May. <laughs> wow, $1.2 trillion. That's just ridiculous. <laughs> uh, I'm happy when I sell a $15 book and they're making $1.2 trillion. Uh and if, as if they're not making enough money, they're trying to squeeze their sellers a little bit more by allowing them to now ignore those pesky holidays. The company that got USPS to work on Sundays and holidays is now encouraging their third-party sellers to do the same. Amazon told sellers they now have the opportunity to override holidays and present faster customer promises for self-fulfilled orders. Amazon believes shoppers want instant gratification and that shortening estimated delivery dates can help make a sale. Again, goes back to kind of what we talked about at the beginning of the show, the customer service aspect. If you're in a position where you can do this, it may be beneficial to your business to offer faster shipping. That's why it is now, the article says, providing a way for sellers to override the holidays. Quote, when estimating shipping date and delivery date, holidays are not counted as operating days. Therefore, estimated shipping date and delivery date that fall on holidays would be pushed to the next operating day. If, however, you have the operational capability and want to keep handling and fulfilling customer orders on a predefined holiday, you can now customize the holidays by overriding them to operating days. You can change these preferences in a new widget called holiday settings in the general shippings page. Some sellers kind of went the other way. How about adding custom days off for private holidays that are not public, kind of like eBay's time away um, policy. One seller asked that that way sellers can adjust their handling time and disabled expedited shipping instead of going on vacation if they just need one to two days off. So that's an interesting take as well. Third-party sellers, you are, if you want to take time away, you've got to find some way to suspend your business or change your handling times. Amazon has gone the other way. They are making more days available for you to be able to pack and ship orders. I think this is the last thing for Amazon. They introduced a couple of weeks ago a new workflow, which has by and large been met with a lot of negativity from Amazon's third-party sellers. Amazon created new workflow by for replenishing inventory to FBA warehouses, but it's gotten thumbs down from numerous sellers. They announced this new send to Amazon workflow coming up on two weeks ago now, saying it offers a faster, simpler way to create your shipments to replenish your FBA inventory. With send to Amazon, sellers could do the following. It explained, edit the unit quantity after shipment creation, send small parcel and less than truckload shipments with Amazon partnered carriers or the carrier of your choice, ship multiple SKUs in one box and upload an Excel file to create shipments. 
We created Send to Amazon in response to input from sellers like you, the company wrote in its August 5th announcements. But the majority of the 63 comments underneath were complaints from sellers who said the new workflow did not make things simpler or faster for them. I don't, again, sell on Amazon and I don't do FBA. So if you are an FBA seller, you can let me know if you have come across this new program and what you think of it. I know I've got a couple of big FBA sellers here. So let us know what your experience has been. Sampling of the comments. I actually really want to like this and use this, but the fact that we have to put expiration dates in at the time of order creation versus after the product is picked makes this a nightmare logistically from working with a warehouse not in the same building where I sit. Maybe if one has a single ASIN to send, it's easy to work. But if you need to browse through a catalog of hundreds or thousands, it's a nightmare. I'm not a fan. Maybe I'm missing the obvious, but I can't figure out how to start a shipment and then let my warehouse folks finish it when they know the box sizes, etc. The old system was simple. I'd specify the products and the number of each, then I could save it and they complete it. Now there's no way to save it before entering the boxes. So... Again, if you're an FBA seller and you have run across this, let us know down in the comments what you think of this program. We talked about, over the last couple of weeks, the brouhaha with eBay and the trading card seller that they suspended for alleged shill bidding. A question that has come up, and it's come up before in other areas as well, is do eBay buyers and sellers need better pricing data? This obviously was brought to the forefront again because of this alleged show bidding. But in a comment of yesterday's coverage, a reader said there's also a problem of show, quote, fixed price buying that they said was rampant because eBay long ago did away with showing actual sale price for best offer items in sold search, which we know if you're on the mobile and you look it up, it'll have kind of the, the best offer accepted and the price with a a strike through on it, but it doesn't actually say what the item sold for. In order to find that, you would have to go into Terapeak, which would then show you actually the final sale price. But if you're out on the mobile, that's an extra layer that you've got to go through that you're probably not going to do. Um, it's difficult <laughs> if you've ever tried to do that on a mobile. Uh, this change is explained in a January 2013 e-commerce bytes blog post ebay began displaying the listing price instead of the selling price for best offers in search results and then compounded the issue by no longer allowing shoppers to view the actual selling price when clicking through to the listing there was a tool called watch count that had a shared a workaround posted in may of this year ebay made changes that rendered that workaround useless buyers obviously want to know what items sold for to make sure they don't overpay, but sellers, of course, also seek selling price data. Here's an example of why people care about the accuracy of eBay selling prices. Quote, I would like to see what the best offer accepted was. I use this to get an idea of prices too. Sometimes there are not a lot of the items that I'm looking at sold, so knowing what the best price accepted was can help me price my items, especially when it comes down to just one or two sold. So, this has been an ongoing issue with eBay for some time, uh, but it has been, again, kind of brought to the forefront with this latest brouhaha on the trading cards. eBay has lost another executive. The seller, head of seller experience, has returned to his former company on Wall Street. 
a New York financial services executive that was hired by the former eBay CEO, Devin Winnig, to be in charge of the seller experience has left the marketplace firm this summer and landed back at his former employer. The company Drive Wealth announced Tuesday that it had rehired Harry Temkin as its chief information officer. Prior to joining eBay, Temkin had spent his career building analytics and trading systems for the likes of Steve Cohen and George Soros. Good company. He said in an interview with an eBay sales and social media consultant, he helped build very sophisticated tools that enabled clients to make very quick, informed decisions about trading. He said in that 2018 interview and called eBay just another marketplace where he intended to build, quote, very, very powerful analytics for eBay sellers. Two years later, in February of this year, on a podcast, he boasted of a new technology backend he had built for eBay and spoke uh, spoke of a packed roadmap and indicating more changes ahead. And now he's gone. Uh, the reason behind his departure from eBay is unknown, but it's a different company from the one he joined in 2018 with a new CEO at the helm of a much smaller organization after the sell-off of units including StubHub eBay classifieds, and the pending sale of its Korean business. Temkin said in this week's press release that DriveWealth's growth trajectory and strong partnership and product pipeline were some of the driving factors behind his return to the company. I'm thrilled to be part of continuing its mission to expand embedded investing technology and capabilities for retail investors around the world. So good for him, I guess, if this is a good move. Uh, To this point, at least according to this article, eBay has not indicated the hiring of a replacement to head the seller experience. We've talked over the last several weeks about eBay's new plan to have kind of an enhanced promoted listings program, which would be a cost per click advertising method, which they have not used in some time. There is an article over on e-commerce bites that essentially says eBay and Amazon raise seller fees through advertising. Um, Following news headline caught my eye this weekend for Amazon and eBay. Advertising is another way to raise fees on sellers. The author, it noted, left out Etsy, which is being much more brazen about it since it doesn't give many sellers a choice about paying that ad fee with their, I forget what it's called, off-site advertising program. We suspect eBay may join it in charging sellers mandatory advertising fees given the launch of eBay off-site ads. This column appeared in the Motley Fool, which is an investor-focused um, website. So the readers of that, they don't care. They're interested in how the stock is going to perform and anything that makes the business theoretically more money is all good for them. But the author did have a warning that Shopify may become more attractive to sellers given rising fees on these online marketplaces. I I don't know that I agree with that because I can't begin to drive enough traffic to my YouTube channel <laughs> uh, or my podcast, let alone to a Shopify store to make it as profitable as my eBay store, even with the fees. The power of eBay.com or Amazon.com or Etsy.com to drive traffic to my items, to your items, is way more valuable than saving a few bucks on the fees, in my opinion. So a Shopify store, at least for my type of stuff, just doesn't really make sense for me. The competitive advantage of sites like eBay and Etsy is the low barrier of entry, while platforms like Shopify requires more commitment and investment on the part of sellers. So while it's not 
The article says an apple to apples comparison, marketplaces may want to look at Google Shopping. It went from free listings to pay to play, and now it's back to free, given merchants the choice of whether to advertise or not. The lesson that Google may have learned, according to the article, is that shoppers care about relevancy. This is something eBay learned back in 2010, but in its hunger for fees, as growth slowed, may have forgotten in 2010 eBay eliminated its featured-first advertising program that had allowed top-rated sellers to pay for top placement in search results. Kind of the same thing, a cost-per-click promoted listing. The reason eBay provided at the time is that, quote, so that the listings most relevant to a buyer's search from sellers who provide great value and service are surfaced consistently at the top of search results, the underlying goal of the best match sort. In other words, this article says shoppers weren't always finding what they were looking for because all these ads crowded out the relevant listings. A few months after that, eBay also discontinued its ad commerce pay-per-click advertising program, and now they're essentially reintroducing all that stuff. So the thing has kind of gone full circle over the last decade from where they got rid of that to be a much more customer-focused search to now adding those things back in to make more money in fees. So I don't, again, I'm not on their corporate board. I'm not privy to the numbers. I don't know if those advertising fees will outweigh the potential of increased sales from better matches. Clearly they've made the calculation that that is the case, but we'll see. Uh, there's a seller that's concerned that bad buyers may be infecting Poshmark. So this kind of, again, goes back to what we talked about at the beginning. Seller says, I had a buyer that made a lowball offer on a designer item that I sell with lowballers. I respond with a very modest discount. The buyer continued to lowball with her minuscule counter offers. I had little wiggle room left on the item. After dogged attempts by the potential buyer to get this expensive item at a very low price, she finally accepted my counter offer. I shipped it quickly with a thank you note. The minute the buyer received the item, she filed an item not as described case claiming everything from fake item to fit to color. I immediately thought hell hath no fury like a buyer who doesn't receive the item at the price she wants. Since this buyer never received a never offered a realistic price for this item and finally accepted my counter offer after at least eight attempts to get it at an unrealistic low price. I do think that is the case. This is something you hear about probably more on eBay. This seller is over on Poshmark and is concerned that that type of behavior is coming over there. Again, kind of going back to what I talked about at the beginning, some of this is just the cost of doing business. There are a few people out there that are going to try to pull one over on you, uh, especially if you're a new seller. If you are a new seller, you're going to have some people that are going to try you on with stuff um, and take some time and do the research to know what the platform's policies are about stuff like this. I had a a newer seller that reached out to me uh, earlier this week. Someone had made an offer on an item. He had counter offered on the item. And before that counter offer was accepted or rejected, someone else came along with a better offer, which he accepted. The original person then sent a threatening message saying they were going to turn this over to eBay because they had made an offer and yada, yada, yada. And I told the fella, (laughs) you've got nothing to worry about. The item is not sold until both parties have agreed to and accepted the offer on a price. So if someone else comes along and buys it, 
just because you've got it in your cart or you're looking at it, at, it, there's no obligation for the seller to hold something for you while you're negotiating a price. The only way you can guarantee it is to either accept the offer or to buy the thing at the full listed price to begin with. So those are some of the kind of things that you need to know as a new seller to kind of protect yourself. Last thing, I always try to end the news with something weird. This is not, unfortunately, a fun weird. This is just another kind of sad weird. A man charged after allegedly stealing and reselling more than 23,000 U.S. Open golf tickets. A Philadelphia area man was charged with allegedly embezzling more than $3 million in tickets to the U.S. Open Championships over seven years, according to the U.S. Attorney's Office for the Eastern District of Pennsylvania. Robert Fryer was charged with one count of conspiracy to commit mail and wire fraud, four counts of mail fraud, and 10 counts of wire fraud related to a scheme to embezzle and keep proceeds from the unauthorized sale of tickets to the U.S. Open. Uh, authorities allege that Fryer, a former employee of the USGA, stole more than 23,000 U.S. Open admission tickets between 2013 and 2019. My first question is, why did it take that long (laughs) uh, to figure out that there was a problem? They say he sold those tickets to third-party ticket brokers for more than a million dollars. Face value of those tickets was more than three million He is further accused of delivering some of those stolen tickets to brokers or their customers via FedEx or UPS, hence the mail fraud issue. So, again, I I know there are things out there that look like they're good opportunities, but if they're not legal and they're not ethical, they're probably not worth it. This guy made a bunch of money, and I think the article says if he is found guilty on all counts, he faces up to... 300 years in prison. A uh, million dollars is a lot of money, but <laughs> uh, not 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 uh, 300 years worth by any stretch. So with that, we're going to wrap it up. I'm going to pop back over into the comments here real quick and just see what's going on. Uh, let's see here. Better health blessings like you not going back on older listings, but taking it into consideration on new listings so I don't have to absorb it. That would be on the the shipping fees. Regina Michelle, welcome to the show. That's a great sale from a dollar. Thank you very much. Uh, Mickey's Fine says, I bet shipping on the turntable was $48.04. I don't remember what I paid, but I did make some money on the shipping uh, after the discounted rate. So I will definitely take that. Uh, Mickey's fine says, good thing you go early. Hamilton's little league world series team plays at 1 PM. They have done pretty well. Last I saw two games ago, they lost. They were supposed to have another game. I assume they must have won that because I think it's two losses and you're out. So they continue to make the city proud. This is like the fourth or fifth time Hamilton's little league team has actually gone uh, to the world series. So that's pretty cool. Mickey's blowing up the comments here. Speaking of Shopify, the reason I'm sticking to eBay, Mercari, et cetera, is the confusing nature of charging sales tax. And that that's absolutely sales tax varies state by state. And within those states, the amount, the rates change county by county. And sometimes even within a county, there may be a certain school district that gets another sales tax bump. So it dealing with sales tax online and if you've got one physical store, you charge the tax for that particular location and you're good to go. But man, if you're online, there are just thousands, thousands of 
different tax regulations that you would have to comply with. And it would not be worth the aggravation for me either. So with that, we are going to close it for this week. I hope you have enjoyed this episode. If that is the case, if you could do me a favor, if you're watching on YouTube, click that thumbs up button and let YouTube know that this video was good. If you're not a subscriber to the podcast or to the YouTube channel, please consider doing that as well. And joining us, we do these every Wednesday at 10 a.m. Eastern, barring something unforeseen. I actually delayed another opportunity so that I could be here today to do this. So I plan around this so you can plan around this Wednesdays at 10 a.m. With that, as I mentioned somewhere during this episode, I bought 3,000 books over the weekend. I've got a lot of work to do. So now it's time to sell. Thanks, guys. You have been listening to the Galaxy CDs Rocks and Flips Reseller Talk podcast. Thank you so much for tuning in, and we will catch you again next time.